Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Craig Parry, CEO of ISO Energy. They're a uranium explorer with assets in the Athabasca region in Canada. They've had some pretty spectacular drill results recently, and we explore with him whether it's business as usual, or is he gonna take advantage of the change in the uranium spot price, uh, and maybe raise some additional money and expand his development program. Enjoy the podcast. Hi Craig, how are you sir? Good, Matt. Good. How are you going? I'm, I'm fine. We've got lots to do here. It's keeping busy, doing interview, interviewing lots of interesting people and uh, managing my flock of animals at home. So, yes, lots, lots to do. Lots to do. Well, I, I see you've become an online superstar in the last couple of months, so well done. Oh, thank you very much. I think that's... Uh, are you talking about my, uh, my bees or the, or the interviews? Well, the, the interviews and the bees. Some hard-hitting interviews and some hard-biting bees. Yeah, trip, there you go. Look at that. And we're going to talk about some of your, uh, your, your turn of phrase. So I noticed one in here called <laughs> a, a size of the prize, cost of the test, and chance of success. We, we are going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to have words. Okay. Uh, but in the meantime, let's kick off with that one-minute overview of the business for people who have perhaps have not heard of you. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, we're a uranium exploration company, uh, very much focused on the eastern half of the Athabasca Basin, home of the, the two biggest uranium mines in the world. We're a spin-out of next-gen energy. We were spun out in 2016 uh, to, to focus on and follow up some of the uh, properties that we had out in the eastern Athabasca that were never going to get any attention within next-gen. Uh, and, uh, and we've been out there... Uh, building up a bigger land position in that fantastically prospective part of the world. Uh, and back two years ago, we announced the discovery of our hurricane deposit. So the focus for us really for the past 18 months has been drilling out that deposit, testing some of those, uh, the, the, the boundaries of that deposit as it stands at the moment, and all, also exploring a long strike from, from hurricane. Uh, and that's, you, you know, that's been the focus. We, uh, we listed in 2016 on the TSX. Uh, of course, we're, we're heavily supported by NextGen. Lee Courier, CEO of NextGen, is our chairman uh, and NextGen owns 52% of the company. Uh, and I think we've raised $18 million over the past three years to do all of that. And that's led to that hurricane discovery. So um, that's, that's really us in a nutshell. Good summary. Now, we've spoken to you a few times, so we, we've got a good idea of the the story as it's evolving. I do want to talk about some of these press releases with the drill results, the really good results, um, and we will get on to that. I also want to get from you today, the big thing I want from you today is to be able to help people understand where you are positioning this company amongst all the other uranium players, because we see lots of different scales of projects. I want to know where you fit in, but right now, Let's kick off with talking about the marketplace. I mean, it's a good time to be in gold and it's a good time to be in uranium. Now, not for all the wrong reasons, obviously. No one wants COVID-19 to go on much longer, but no. you guys have seen a huge set of catalysts over the past few weeks, obviously with Cigar Lake, Kazatom Prom closing down, Namibia shutting down. I think Australia seems to be pot, you know, pottering along. Um, what's your take on on the market conditions and what it's going to mean for people like you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, it's sort of hard to, to you know, we, we shouldn't dance around the fact that this is a terrible time for humanity. And, um, 
but but of course it's a, an ill wind that brings no good and in in our particular case what we're seeing is uh, exposed is the very challenged nature of the uranium supply side so you, you know there's about 441 nuclear reactors operating around the world um, so so good strong demand and and diversified demand there uh, and then on the supply side um, there are 12 uranium mines that supply over 80 percent of the world's uranium fuel nuclear fuel so uh, if one of those mines goes down, particularly one of the big ones, then we see some some real challenges exposed. Of course, what we've seen here with Kazatomprom, world's biggest producer, uh, and Cameco closing their last operating mine, Cigar Lake. Uh, you've seen 60% of global production removed from the market in one fell swoop. And of course, what we've seen in the past couple of uh, couple of weeks is just the announcement of those closures has been enough to drive the, the uranium market into a serious bull market. We've, we've seen the price rise from $23.50 a pound to $32 a pound today. So that's up a little bit over 30% simply on the announcement. That's before any of that product's been removed from the market. I think that product is you know, disappearing from the market this week. So I, I think the setups, the, you know, a really, really interesting time. We could see uranium price really spike. And then it'll come down to what happens with the utilities, you know, how they respond. We've heard uh, that Kazatomprom have told the, the traders, those guys that sort of operate in that carry trade market, there's no product available for them anymore. So they're starting to, 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 uh, to not panic, I suppose, but, but really get concerned that they're not going to get product to keep their business going. Uh, but when the utilities, when those complacent customers, particularly down in the US, uh, start to see that there's no product. And of course, these guys have been very well supplied. They've been open about this. The, the, you know, guys like... Um, Mike Alkin at Satcham Cove have been very eloquent on, on this topic. They've been there's been enough product in that spot market for them for the past three or four years that they haven't had to go beyond that and, and think too hard about where their supply is going to come from. Well, all of a sudden, that's been turned on its head, and it's sort of too late for them. So I think you know we, we've got to find out where we stand in in terms of fungible, tradable, accessible stockpiles. Um, we suspect there isn't much out there because the utilities don't have big stockpiles and the producers don't have big stockpiles. So, so where are these things? But we'll know that in the next couple of months as the product disappears from the market. But, uh, you, you know, I think there's every chance. Now, now, in all likelihood, I think we'll see stronger prices as the product disappears from the market and those utilities come back into the market looking for that spot product. But what happens in three or four months' time when they find that there isn't much out there at all? Do they start to panic? Do we see a 2006, 2007 type scenario where the uranium price goes from $30 all the way up to $150? I, I wouldn't bet on it, but you know the risks in the whole uh, the, the whole market here are to the upside for the uranium price. So it's um, you know a terrible time uh, globally, but uh, but for the uranium sector. You know, you know, it could not be more bullish. It's um, it's going to be a fascinating, uh, fascinating 2020. Well, yeah, it definitely is. Um, we spoke to John Borshoff yesterday. He's obviously got a very different business model from a lot of the junior explorers because he's reliant on his M&A strategy working. And I guess one would argue, and I think he, he was, you know, sensible enough to admit that he's going to talk his playbook. But his view was that the price of uranium would get up to 35, hang around there for a while, and then drop back again because 
we don't actually know what the utilities are going to be doing. They might be feeling nervous, but are you seeing or are you hearing anything over and above? Um, you know, you said Kazatomprom have contacted a few traders to say that there's no available spot. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are you? What else are you hearing from utility companies? Because I know you obviously you've got NextGen who works quite closely with you. I think they spend a lot of time and effort talking to utilities. So, what what do you know? What are you able to share with us in terms of some of the behaviour from the utilities this week or last week? Yeah, well, look, we've heard a little bit. I, I think I heard, uh, you know, a couple of days ago that, that Duke uh, in the US have said that, um, you know, COVID, COVID-19's changed their view on supply dramatically. Um, so they're, they're sort of, you know, I think they're well aware of what's going on. I think the other thing that's worth considering, and, and you know, John, you know, John, John's a friend and uh, I've got the greatest of respect for John. He's a legend of the industry, of course, a larger-than-life legend of the industry. Um, he, uh, I, you know, I think we've heard uh, as, as as late as a couple of hours ago that, that Cameco uh, are talking about uh, the decision to take Cigar offline was a, a health and safety-related decision. The decision to bring it on will be a commercial decision. Uh, I know there's a conference oh, call with CD Bank, Cameco now, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. And then we understand, you know, Kazan and Prom, of course, are in, in a tricky position because the former Soviet Union countries, their permitting regime requires that they produce at their nameplate capacity and follow all of the, the legally must follow all of the stipulations in their uh, use uh, subsurface use licenses uh, and in in their particular case they haven't been able to cut production to the extent that they want and we understand that they you know there's some sort of agreement with their government that they can can now use this uh, period to, to really cut back their production and of course they've taken uh, they, they, they do supply 40% of the world's uranium um, and they've taken uh, all of that offline in, in, in one go, and it's offline for at least three months. So I, I you know, I, I hear what John's saying. I, I, I suspect that we'll see, um, you know, prices go much higher than that. And what we do know is that those, particularly Cameco, have been very open uh, about saying they need to see $50 plus uranium before they'll start writing long-term contracts. So I think that's where we go. Well, let me, let me come back to something you said earlier. So you said Cameco took... Cigar Lake offline for healthy, healthy and safe reasons. Safe health and safety reasons. They will not put it back on, or they'll only put it back on for commercial reasons. What do you think they meant by that? Do you mean? Do you think that means um, they will be looking for the market to um, find the right price? Or do you think it's going to mean something else entirely? I mean, what what, what should I read into? that statement by them yeah look and you know this is all sort of uh, in which case you know to me that's kind of that's kind of price fixing. it's kind of price fixing it isn't it in a way holding the well, market to ransom it's, it's not because of course we we do know that their uh all in sustaining cost is is considerably north of the price at the moment and uh and they've been very clear to tell the market that they're not going to write any long-term contracts uh, for for uh, unless they make profit on their, their what they consider tier one assets, which is absolutely fair enough. And I, I think 
you, you, you know, our, our suspicion is that they've been losing money on that production. Of course, they're you know, a good chunk of their business has become buying product in the spot market for $25 a pound and selling it into the few long-term contracts that they've got left at, at $40 to $43 a pound. So that's been a, a good trade for them. Um, but I, I suspect that, you know, they really need to see certainly north of 45 but I think we've heard $50 a pound. They're not going to write long-term contracts until they get to that price. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not uh, market manipulation in any way. It's just simply putting your production on hold until you get a price that's sustainable for your business. And um, and I think, you, you know, we all know that the production around the world, we've seen plenty of those cost curves. You know, there's no great cost curve in our sector because we, uh, for whatever reason, we still don't quote all in sustaining costs, but we know that, you know, the costs of production in our sectors are considerably higher on average than the spot price has been for the past couple of years. So everyone's got to see uh, a much higher price. And, you know, this period of time is is simply a readjustment back to uh, to more of a sustainable price. So so both Kazatom Prom and Kamiko are going to take the opportunity to withhold production into the marketplace until the market finds a price at which they deem they can get back into the market. But that, that's going to be at a much lower rate than most companies are going to be able to consider getting into production. We've talked to the US producers. They're talking 55, <laughs> 60, higher, right? So again, it, yep. It, it, yep. it could have the optics of the two large players, 60% of the market, controlling price to suit their needs, but it's not going to do much for the people who can, you know, the tier two, tier three. Oh, look, I, well, you know, it'll come down to the, the, the question of uh, how much how much products out in, the, in these stockpiles. And I, I think if, if that's worked or if it's not non-existent, um, then, you know, we, we should see the, the uranium price roar through that incentive price beyond sort of $60 and beyond pretty quickly. I, look, I, I think, you know... My answer to that without sort of um, disparaging any of our competition is this is why you need to be in the Athabasca Basin. Um, you, you look at, at uh, next-gen Arrow's uh, uh, operating costs and, and, and they're sub $14 a pound. So the incentive price for, for Arrow to come on streams, you, you know, somewhere below $20 a pound. So that project will, will be built at some point in the next few years. Um, so I, I look, you know, I feel for the guys in the US. You, you, you need you need good projects, of course, and certainly they've they've got a few tailwinds there with this nuclear fuel working group that uh, that Trump's been um, has put into action. So, but but you know, I I think sort of uh, if we see fifty, the worst case scenario to my mind is that that we see the price go to forty five dollars a pound, and 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 Kazatom Prom keep it at that level. Because that's not great for anyone. Because they could. Potentially, potentially. Yeah, I think that's. I think yeah. that's. The, I think that's a great talking point. Lots of people want to understand. You know, because we we asked these questions about, you know, six nine months ago about you know is it possible to for the large players to actually control the pricing in the marketplace? And it's taken something like COVID nineteen to come along to give them an excuse to do so. But, you, you know, you one has to question the ability of, of those monopolistic behaviours uh, to affect the, the rest of the, you know, entrants coming in, you know, these, these developers 
these uh, explorers coming into the marketplace. Um, but I buy your point. If you've got high-grade Athabasca Basin and presuming you can get into production and get it financed, um, yeah, happy days, low, low cost. I get it. Exactly. And look, the good news is, of course, that um, there aren't many projects out there to come on stream. Uh, you, you know, certainly beyond 2025, they're, they're, we, we don't have enough projects globally to, to supply even current demand, let alone what demand might look like in, uh, in 2025. So, um, you, you know, the, this sort of downturn we've been through, we talk about this a lot, you know, there were 500 companies back in 2010 listed uh, uranium vehicles. Today, active listed uranium comes probably 35, 40. Mm. Um, and, and of that, maybe half of us have got a deposit that might become a mine. Um, so there's not there's not much stuff. There aren't many uh, projects with product to come online over that time frame. That's important to note, and, and, and we'll get to that when we come to talking about Hurricane because we're, we're only 40 kilometres away from Arano's McLean Lake Mill. Uh, and if you look at that project, you know, Cigar Lake feeds that mill. Um, it's currently underfed, although, you know, I'm currently on care and maintenance, of course. Uh, but, um, you know, come 2025, uh, unless there's a massive new investment in Cigar Lake, that mill runs out of feed. And that's, you know, that's an important point to note is that over the next uh, four or five years, the supply-demand dynamic changes dramatically in your own. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we've covered a lot of the macro features. I do, do appreciate you quite eloquent the way you describe some of those features. Um, so let's move on to you guys. So I'm just reading press release after press release, month after month. Mm -hmm. You're hitting, you're drilling, you're hitting great grades. Um, obviously, you know, you must be pleased with those. You've got enough cash to take you through to when? Remind me, I did a... Look, ready? we've got three and a half million in the bank at the moment. If, okay. we, if we do another, another drill program like we, we have over the summer, that's not guaranteed at the moment, but we're working hard to be able to do that uh, in, you know, given the current sort of uh, conditions and COVID-19 and things. But um, that, that will last us sort of midway through next year so we're very well funded you know we're okay. in a tremendous position okay so and sorry this is a slight legacy from talking about the macro thing do, do you feel now with the spot price moving with and i know people have this great debate over its contracts and not necessarily spot but the the, the perception in the marketplace when spot when spot price moves p the sentiment moves so do you feel with this movement in the spot price you are going to find it easier to raise money is it going to cost you less? And I guess the answer should be yes. But um, have you tested that yet? Have you been approached? Yeah, look, a very, very good question. And, and you know, it's a bit sort of, it's a tough one because you um, certainly we've been approached and a number of uh, a number of brokers and banks have approached us in, in recent weeks um, offering us, you know, significant uh, financings. Um, we're not going to take any of that money at the moment. We, we really just want to sit, um, see what we need to do for the rest of the year, assuming we can get back onto the project, which we think we can, uh, and do it safely and, and not put any of our people or the communities we operate around in at risk, um, then, then we'll get out and drill over summer. Uh, and we're fu fully financed for that. So that, that we're in a neat position. But um, clearly, you know, the past two weeks have really sort of uh, excited the market. Mm. We're seeing a lot of interest from, from funds here in Canada, mm. but also, you know, the, the interest from um, 
from US funds is is, is peaking as well. So, yeah, look, it, it, it's all um, uh, it's it's not a bad time. I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Is what I'm interested in is to see if you are going to maintain the plan that we discussed last time we spoke, or because the market is changing, your thinking's changing. Look, no, no, we, we'll we'll stick to our knitting here very much. Now, you know, we we sort of whilst you know we we're sort of keen observers of what's going on in the market. Um, you know, our, our main job here is to advance our project uh, and and deliver fish for our shareholders that way. So we we'll stick to our knitting there. You know, we, we've got to find the, the the right path to move the project forward. I think, you, you know, ideally come summer we'll have a, an enlarged, uh, essentially a resource delineation drilling program that we'll be working on, um, albeit we've still got a lot of exploration work to do there because we haven't found the boundaries of the, the depositors and stands uh, yet. So we, we've got to do that um, and we've got some fantastic exploration targets. You know, some of our exploration drilling out to the east of the the deposit over the the winter, uh, you, you know, hit some very interesting elevated uh, radioactivity and and alterations. So our chances of discovery out there are very very good as well. Um, and if you want to touch on that that question of uh, size, of the price, cost of the test, and chance of success, you know, it's a bad time to do it. But yeah, Nick, on let, let's say the size of the yeah, prize, yeah. the cost of the test, and the chance of success. But what are you talking yeah, about? Look, it's one of it, it, it's one of one of my favourite catchphrases that um, you know. I, I, your viewers may not know this, but I spent uh, eight and a half years with Rio Tinto Exploration uh, in various different roles around the world. Uh, and uh, there was, a, you know, the head of exploration when I joined Rio was a, a gentleman called David Klingner. Um, and he really transformed the exploration business at Rio Tinto, made it uh, much more sort of business focused, commercially focused, um, with still a massive, you know, very strong technical overprint. Um, but he, he reduced budgets and, and, and transformed that business such that, and, and people don't, perhaps don't realise this, but NextGen has consistently discovered a tier one asset every year for the past 20 years. And they're things that people don't know about. You know, people think that you're, the juniors discover more uh, deposits than the majors. Well, it's not not entirely true. You know, Nick, uh, Rio's been very successful. And part of his thesis, or, you, you know, what he drummed into us was that you must focus on the size of the prize, cost of the test, and chance of success when it comes to looking at, ranking and prioritising and reviewing exploration projects. So size of the prize, if you're going to look for world-class deposits um, or, or you, you you know what you should be looking for are world-class deposits, um, tier one type projects, because big ones, uh, small ones at the end of the day take as much time and effort as big ones and, and don't give you the return. So you've got to go after projects that are big. And that's one of the reasons that Rio got out of gold, you know, gold very hard to find a project of material size in the gold space. You know, it's got to be more, more than 10 million ounces and there aren't many of those out there. So size of the price, cost of the test, uh, if, you know, it's got to be worth you doing the work to, to go and test those targets and, um, and, and having access. This is why the Athabasca Basin, as an example, is a fantastic place, uh, particularly the eastern Athabasca where we are. You know, we don't want to be drilling kilometre deep holes 
We're very happy drilling 300 metre deep holes to, to hit hurricanes. And we're surrounded by fantastic infrastructure there. You've got roads, you've got power, you've got people, access, ready access to drill rigs. So costing the cost of testing our targets out there is relatively modest to say testing things uh, in, in, in the Andes or, you, you know, in deeper parts of the basin. So uh, that, that's important. And then chance of success is simply probability of uh, probability of intersecting or, or making a discovery uh, of, of the size that you, you, you want to. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, what that translates to is going to places where there are known deposits, where you, you know that you have a strong probability of testing, of, of making an economic intercept. And again, you know, on all of those fronts, uh, the Athabasca Basin ticks those boxes. The size of the prize is right. We're, we're in and around uh, some of the world's big mines. Of course, one of our properties, Thorburn Lake, is only six kilometres away from and a long strike of, of the massive Cigar Lake mine. So we know the deposits are big enough. Cost of the test in the Athabasca Basin, very, very modest because of where we are and the fact that we're not drilling very deep holes. And then uh, chance of success. Well, we know that the Athabasca Basin uh, is incredibly well endowed with high-grade mineralisation, so it ticks that box. So that's you know that's how we rank and prioritise our targets globally and then locally as well. Okay, that's all lovely, but there are lots of companies who have found good assets and they're sitting, they, they would tick all those boxes, who I don't know today if they're going to be able to get financed and if they are, how expensive that financing is going to be. So I'm going to look at... And so what I, what I want to get to here, and I said it right at the beginning, is what are you going to do to be able to get into production or fit slot into the marketplace? So if you're sitting with a billion dollar plus uh, capex requirement, there's very few uh, ways to go about getting that. Okay, but if you're going to, if you're going to need a couple hundred million bucks, you've got a lot more options available to you. So. I'm interested in how what's you, what your plan is. I know your exploration, it's early days, okay? You've got a lot more to do, but at some point you stop drilling, you go, we've got enough now to get this thing going, okay? We've got, we've got a big enough resource to get this thing financed and get the thing going. Or do you just keep drilling and drilling and drilling? In the end, you've got yourself a you know, billion dollar capex uh, program to try and finance. Where do you fit in the marketplace if that is the case? What does your infrastructure need to look like? So I'm interested in what you're going to do to commercialize this. And more importantly, for your shareholders, you're going to make the money. Show them how they're going to be able to make money. So what's your answer to that? What's the plan? Well, you, you know, if we've got a deposit that's big enough that we can just keep drilling it out, well, that, that's, you know, that's a wonderful problem to have, of course. Um, you know, and, and you, Lee, Lee Courier there, our chairman and, and CEO of NextGen, has had that challenge. You know, Arrow's turned out to be an absolute giant project, uh, a giant deposit that um, and, and a big project. But that project, the nature of his, his deposit there at Arrow, or our deposit, I should say, is that um, it, it will support a, a, you know, it will be the biggest uranium mine in the world and yet is only going to cost a billion dollars to build and I think the financing of that will come very readily particularly when you look at the cash flow uh, of, of that project um, you know Lee really only has to forward sell a year's worth of production and there's the billion dollars that he needs to build the project so he's uniquely positioned I, I'd love to think that we'd get to that point um, I'd love to think I'd love to think we can uh, we can interview him soon so if you want to put in a good word please do sure he can tell us himself no no he will, will. 
He's a he's, he's a great friend and, and business good. partner of mine, so I'll, I'll absolutely put in a good word for I'll him. I'll be nice. Um, <laughs> good, good. Well, he's he's got uh, you know it's such a wonderful story. There's um, you know I'm sure he'd love to share it. Okay, but back but back um, to you. So look, back to you. What are you going to do? Yeah, back to back to hurricane. So so look, I, I think we're probably you know we haven't we're starting to close the deposit off a long strike of course on the western part of our project we're running up against the property boundary so that that that's a challenge for us but we haven't closed off any of those sections and if people look at our website there uh, isoenergy.ca uh, you you can see our sections in our presentation and most recent news release uh, we've got some massive high-grade intercepts there. You know, there, there's one there that we announced two days ago, hole 52, seven and a half metres at 23% U308. Yeah, no, no, no drill hole around that at all. So we've got to close that off. So, look, I, I think, Matt, we're probably another one to two drill campaigns away from knowing the, the full extent of the deposit and what we might be working with. And then we'll make, you, you know, it's too early to say what our path to development on a project like this is. We don't even have a resource. So you, you've got to do all of that groundwork first, but we'll, we'll get that done. And then how do we look at it? What do we do? Well, in terms of developing a project, now this is all, you know, you've got to caveat this. This is laden with forward-looking statements. Um, but, you know, there are a couple of fundamental things that we're looking at. Firstly, we're not under a body of water. We're relatively shallow. Um, we're very close to, to roads, power, uh, grid power, um, and, and great infrastructure for mining. Crucially, we're only 40 kilometres away from Arano's McLean Lake Mill. And so, you, you, you know, you can make some, some assumptions about what we would try to do if we came to developing this project around toll milling mm -hmm. and those sorts of approaches. And certainly we know that that mill, uh, it's a 24 million pound per annum production capacity that they have there. Uh, they are producing, well, you know, three weeks ago, they were producing 18, 18 million pounds per annum. That, that was their run rate. Today, of course, it's, it's shut down and they're not producing anything. Um, and then, uh, you know, come 2025, depending on what happens with Cigar Lake, that mill could be out of out of feed almost completely. So, so we're, we're uniquely positioned to provide product there. And then the other thing you should look at, uh, or, or we, we're looking at, is how what, what's the most economic route to extraction of, of, of this type of ore? Of course, you, you've seen Chemico's, um, you know, freeze wall mining technology, relatively high high capex and opex. Uh, to develop a project like that. Uh, in recent years, of course, we've seen a couple of technologies come along that, that allow you to reduce your capital budget and your operating costs dramatically. Of course, we've seen Denison's exceptionally good work uh, on, uh, on conceptualising and looking at uh, in situ leaching of high-grade deposits. Uh, we've been so impressed by that, in fact, that Peter Longo, who was their COO, who conceptualised that work? We've actually brought him onto the team as a consultant to help us look at that approach as well. So we're starting to put in place those building blocks to look at how we might develop this project. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing is Arano has their Sabre uh, uh, um, borehole extraction uh, proprietary technology that they've worked on, and we think that Hurricane could be amenable to to that approach. And that's a very low cost. Uh, approach to mining as well so so we're looking at all of those things i think you know suffice to say we when it comes to building um 
a, a mine and a project, we wouldn't expect that we might have to build a, a mill out in the east, which is one of the great things about operating in the eastern Athabasca. Nice. Craig, I appreciate your time today. Uh, you've, got a, you've got yourself a nice little project. I like it. I like the fact that you're not losing your mind over what could happen in the marketplace and spot price and so forth. It's a you know, steady course, um, sticking to your plan um, in, as you say, in quite a nice part of the world. Um, these jewel results are exceptional. I hope they keep, uh, keep coming for you. Um, but stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. I, I, I'm very keen to see how you, when you start making these decisions about the type of company you're going to be or the, the way that you're going to phase the growth of the company. Because I think it's important for shareholders, potential shareholders, to understand what they're getting into bed with. Because obviously there's a lot of people out there telling a, trying to tell a good story. Yes, yeah, look, absolutely. And I think, you, you know, to go back to one of your sort of fundamental questions there about, you know, who are you, what are you? Well, the way we're differentiating ourselves at the moment is to be the go-to name in uranium exploration as this market kicks off. Uh, we're, we're the only junior out there with a new high-grade discovery. Um, come summer, we'll be drilling there, uh, you know, COVID-19 conditions willing. Um, we'll be drilling and, and putting out more great results as we get in and test the, the, the boundaries of that high-grade mineralisation we've got. So, um, you know, we're in a, a unique position. We want to be seen by the market as the go-to name in uranium exploration today, and I think we're getting there. People are starting to, you know, just looking at the share price now, we're up uh, another 15% at the moment today. Um, so people are catching on. It's, uh, it's great to see. No, so like, there's a lot. There's a lot to like, Craig. So, uh, congratulations to you. Do stay in touch. Um, genuinely, would love to um, have you pick up the phone when you think you've got some uh, meaningful news for us. Because uh, I know people who watch this, you know, we've had a lot of very positive feedback about what you're doing there. So, uh, congratulations on that. And I will let you get back to your day. Thank you. Good on you, Matt. Thank you very much. And um, always, always a pleasure. I. I love what you're doing, so much appreciated for having us on. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.